Hello, and welcome to Read Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, um, and we are here today doing our special series talking about COVID-19 and health equity. Today, we are joined by Dr. Raymond Portis. Um, Dr. Raymond Portis II is a native of Jackson, Mississippi. He's a graduate of Meharry Medical College, class of 2003. Dr. Portis attended the University of Mississippi Medical College for his internal medicine residency and pulmonary critical care fellowship and is board certified in both disciplines. Dr. Portis currently serves as a practicing partner with Jackson Pulmonary Associates and the ICU Medical Director for Merritt Health Medicine in Rankin, located in the greater Metro Jackson, Mississippi area. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. Uh, anything else, did I miss anything in your intro or anything else you wanna share about you and what you're doing right now? Well, I guess I could mention my three children and lovely wife and family. But um, other than that, I think you wrapped it all up nice. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And everybody's spending more time with their loved ones <laughs> during the season. So definitely want to mention them. Um, well, I thought we'd talk about a couple of things today. I mean, uh, being a pulmonologist, of course, you are um, at the front end of the medical spectrum of COVID-19. So um, can you share, especially being in Mississippi, we talk a lot about, you know, what's happening in the four corners in the, in the New Yorks and the California and Washingtons and Floridas. Um, but it's nice, nice to know what's going on kind of in the middle of the country in places like Mississippi, uh, where you have a different patient population, different demographic, um, and maybe the disease is presenting itself in a different way. So kind of tell, just tell us what you're seeing every day and, um, and how you're interacting with COVID-19. Okay, and I'm glad you kind of mentioned the demographic differences because here in the South, um, kind of fortunately and unfortunately, we suffer from the greatest number of healthcare disparities. Um, with that, um, our numbers of patients that are ill remain high. In the face of coronavirus 19, it has become kind of difficult to tease out those patients that are still presenting in their normal fashion um, from the patients that are at risk for coronavirus for, uh, 19, especially now that the virus is out and the numbers are rising and um, your, your risk factors have become so broad. So some of the challenges that we are facing down here in the South resolve around the numbers being great and the exposures being great. And we're kind of overloaded our, um, our testing um, floor where we put patients who are under investigation, um, they're currently being treated for their heart failure, COPD, or diabetes, and urinary tract infection. But due to some of the delays in the testing, we're kind of holding on to them, ruling them out, which is just using up all of our personal protection equipment. And that's one of the areas where um, we kind of struggle. Um, we as doctors and nurses find ourselves sometimes sharing uh, personal protection equipment, goggles, gowns, and in some instances even having to reuse these and clean them with uh, Clorox wipes. Um, so, you know, with our numbers staying the same and in the region with the greatest number of healthcare disparities, one of the greatest difficulties is finding those coronavirus patients and separating them from the patients that are just in their natural chronic state of illness. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, 
you know, you mentioned just because when a lot of patients, they present one with symptoms that are kind of nebulous, right? So we're like, what's really going on? Right. Um, and two, you know, we're trying to keep people out of the system. And so people who already have uh, limited access or um, difficulty accessing the symptoms system, maybe staying home with symptoms from their other chronic illnesses too for too long. Um, so that's kind of compounding the problem. So I know that's a difficult place to be in. I don't envy you at all for that. Um, can, can you speak a little bit about what's going on in the more rural parts of Mississippi? Are people getting the right information about what to do and how to interact with, with one another and social distancing and that type of thing? Do you feel like every part of the country is getting the, the, the right recommendations and are, are using them correctly? Well, what I have been uh, noticing is that in some of those areas um, that there's limited access to um, cable and internet, um, it's about word of mouth. And um, I would say, generally speaking, from the patients that we get that present with coronavirus, it would seem that the information isn't quite there. Um, you know, uh, these rural hospitals um, sometimes only work with like nurse practitioners. They don't have a lot of physician presence there that can get the word out to these people. And so, you know, they're just left to get information from neighbors or someone with access to the um, internet or uh, the news. Um, I know initially there was a lot of speculation about some medications that could help and things that, you know, talk with your um, state governor, et cetera, and, 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 and listen to what they say. And I think out of all that, it created a little bit of confusion because on some ends you had people saying, well, you should go back to work. And then in some states you have people saying, oh, we're just going to stop work. We're not going back. And so when you mix all that up, you get a little bit of people that you, you, people sometimes try to read into it what they want and um, they end up doing what they want. And I think for the most part, the patients that we're seeing have not to social distancing. Um, they have kind of, they don't understand the strictness of social distancing. So social distancing meaning, you know, you're at home, you're not visiting with your grandkids, et cetera. And I think that's where some of these through the cracks because they feel like if they're in their house and then their family member comes to visit them that they're socially distancing just because they don't have 10, 10 people, I'm sorry, in, in, a, in a congregation. Um, but anyone that can move from a riskful situation into a non-risk situation brings that risk into that household. And I think that's the biggest message that we have to get out while we're waiting for this coronavirus to pass. One of the things I will say about the coronavirus is it's amazing how these patients present. They come in, they're satting in the 80s. For anybody who doesn't understand what that means, that's very low. But they're sitting on their cell phone, they're talking, all they have is a cough. And then in the blink of a minute, they go from that to overt respiratory failure, acute respiratory distress syndrome on a ventilator, and they're really crumping. And so when these patients come in, we have to put them in the ICU because of that. So once they become oxygen dependent, you have to monitor them in hopes that they get better, but you always keep on the back burner that the ones that crash and burn do so really fast without warning. 
And that's one of the things that's overloading the the healthcare system, um, the ICUs, and the in the um, and the general medical floors. Um, this is, um, can become so deadly so fast that you don't have a lot of time to react. Yeah, that's I've, and I've been hearing that a lot over and over again. That you know, it seems like even the early reports where <clears throat> people were coming to the hospital, they were looking okay, going home, and then coming back to the hospital a day or two later, severely ill. You know, kind yeah. of at the point of no return, and and that that shift is is unique um i think for most in comparison with uh, other respiratory illnesses or any other illnesses period to have that um shift uh and downturn so quickly um, and, and, uh, and, and just by being a virus you know all we have for viruses is really supportive care um we've tried um plaquenil um there have been some small reports of steroids being used. There have been, um, you know, reports of Actimera being used. We, we, we've gone through all three of these treatment modalities here in Jackson. Um, and what I think and what I found is that it seems that if the person's gonna get better, they're just gonna get better. Um, and if they're not, you'll know very quickly it's different than a bacterial infection or a rheumatological infection or autoimmune infection because, I mean, autoimmune reaction, because at least you can kind of map the progression. You know, when the patient is getting on to 60 liters, I mean, 60% oxygen, et cetera, you can go ahead and make adjustments. This is one of those things where you can be on five liters of oxygen and on hundred percent in an hour. And, and like I said, it's just a challenge because we don't have much out there to treat viruses. Yeah, it's very, very scary. Uh, it continues to be such and an hoping uh, it's as a country as a whole, we can on the right track and do our best. And like you said, there's just not, we don't have much uh, that we can do besides provide care. Um, and so I was, I was just gonna ask you, what do you think is, is on the forefront for Mississippi? Um, in the next few, you know, days to weeks, as we kind of see this uh, evolving, um, um, I guess, spread of the disease, right, from from the bigger right. states to the the smaller states. Do you think you're you're, you're on top of it? You're going to be able to hold in place and then be in a steady state, or do you think it's going to have a rapid uptake, like in some of these others? Well, in Mississippi, we're fortunate that we aren't seeing the same large numbers that um, New York, Detroit are seeing. Um, I maintain some communication with um, some of my peers in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, UMMC. My hospital is associated with uh, St. Dominic and Baptist. I'm, I work at Baptist, but the other half of my group work at St. Dominic. And then by me being um, medical director here in Madison, and ranking, I kind of have a really good idea of what's going in the greater Metro Jackson area, as well as North, South, and East of here. Um, and what we're seeing is that, you know, we don't, however we don't have the large numbers, our numbers are still increasing. Um, we're still diagnosing patients. And the scary part about it, some of the patients that we're seeing, their risk factors may um, stem from a plant somewhere. And so after kind of, watching some of the demographic areas of some of our patients that have become positive. What I'm seeing is that probably a month later, you get after 
let's just say someone from a plant comes in positive, you send them to quarantine. Now, four, four weeks later, we're seeing uh, family members that are rel family members that are have some person in that plant. They're now coming in positive. So I'm thinking that we're still on the rise, but we'll probably be nadering off in the next two weeks. Um, we just had a nursing home that was affected really bad and they cleared it out and sent all the patients to the hospital. So that was the most recent influx of um, positive patients. And so once that, once these, I call them cells, you know, pockets of patients run their course and, you know, get dispersed into the healthcare system in an appropriate manner, I think we'll probably see that, 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 that decline maybe in the next two weeks to a month. Um, but you know, it's really hard. Like one uh, doctor said, the virus kind of, uh, the virus tells us when we can come off quarantine, you know, and um, will tell us when the virus is fading away, you know, but I think probably in the next two weeks, because we're still on the rise. We don't have numbers in the thousands, but we're like 200 positive. The last time uh, we were checked, it was like in a day we had 230 something uh, cases in the state. So we're still on the rise, but you know, not as exponentially um, as the other states we are, we, that we're seeing the large numbers, but um, I'm expecting that to kind of decline probably this month. I, I am optimistic with you. I am optimistic with you. Well, um, I, you know, of course, I don't want to keep you long, but as we close, I, I, I always like to ask um, what, you know, what has been your biggest challenge, either personally or professionally during this whole thing? And, and what do you hope that we learn from this? And, you know, with all great challenges, you know, come an opportunity right. for growth. So what do you, what do you hope we get out of it? Okay. First, my greatest challenge, I mean, my greatest challenge is just adhering to the strict protocol, going in and out of these rooms and trying my best not to make a mistake. You know, every, you know, it, to, to put on a mask, people don't understand. It's easy to put on a mask once, but if I told you you had to put on a mask 15 times, I mean, you're gonna touch your face, you know, and you've got to wash your hands. You have to, ex you have to adhere to these strict protocols. That's the most difficult thing. Um, what we get out of this, um, I think this virus taught America a lesson. It taught a lesson to the world that I think maybe the Chinese were the only ones that were really prepared to deal with it. But one, we're probably not ever going to a hundred percent go back to the way we were because these viruses are going to keep coming. Um, I did a lot of studies in environmental science and I just know that it's a part of herd management that these things come about to thin out the population and man has to become wiser and it's every in their everyday interactions. You know, I sit in the lines and I got six feet, between me and another person, but that's probably a necessary distance to really respect someone's personal space. And that's something that we here in America have taken for granted and probably overexploited. Um, and I think we have to socially make some changes in order for the population to um, continue to thrive. And I think that's the biggest lesson we can learn from this is that we have to make changes. We have to change the way we live. And we have to um, um, change the things we do so that we can ensure our survival. I would agree. I think that is a great place to, to end. And I appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us today. And good luck with everybody. And take care of yourself and your family. And I wish you um, 
you know, well-being and safekeeping. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> For the thank next you. few Good weeks. So. Good to hear from you again. I appreciate it. Call in time. <laughs> thank you. All right.